for a long way, states away. I'd like to welcome you if you're new this morning um, or if you're online, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you could spend time with us. And this morning, we are going to be continuing with our, our theme for the year, which is the ways of God. And the ways of God are always intended for us to know him. Moses prayed in Exodus 33, teach me your ways so that I might know thee, O Lord. So God's ways are about him. They're always pointing to him. And up to this point in the year, we have, we have taken good time to explore God as Father. That has been a theme that has been um, taught on well-developed through the course of this year. We've also taken good time to address Jesus in a variety of ways. Jesus as the Word, Jesus as the Son, Jesus as servant. But one member of the Godhead that we haven't taken time up to this point to look at is Holy Spirit. And so for the next four weeks, I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, who he is, how he works, what he does. And obviously that is not going to be, um, let me say it this way. There's going to be a lot of overlap. What I say this week may also be said in portion next week and the week after. So there's going to be a lot of um, give and take uh, in this. And just by necessity, I'm going to have to go in steps. You can't say every single thing in every single meeting. So a uh, four-part series is so that we might build and so that we, we might work with truth in such a way as to begin to um, consider who Holy Spirit is. Um, if we could have the first verse in Zechariah. From Zechariah chapter 4, reading in verse 2, then he said to me, this is, the, uh, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, the New American Standard says, says the Lord of armies. This idea is consistent throughout Scripture, that God doesn't work by the might of man or by power of man, but what he does is by his spirit. And so what we're going to be considering is from the start of Genesis to one of the last verses of Revelation, we have this person, the Spirit, being spoken of. And so we're going to consider, who is this person, Holy Spirit, the Spirit? I'll start by saying that in the Bible, we have a, a trinity our God is triune. There's God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity are people, are persons. Holy Spirit is not an it, and he's not a ghost. I think, uh, if, if I'm going to speak from myself for a minute, for years I had trouble with envisioning who is the Spirit. God the Father I could imagine. I could imagine an ancient one sitting on a throne as the scriptures portray him. He who sat as king at the flood. 
with a beard, with glory. I can imagine, I can picture God the Father. God the Son, I can envision. I can envision him as both God and man, Jesus Christ, crucified and raised from the dead and now seated at the right hand of the Father. I can picture him as a man who was, had his beard plucked from him, who was more marred than anybody else that even today bears the scars of the crucifixion. So I think when I think of God, I don't have a problem, me personally, envisioning, giving image to God the Father. I also don't have a problem giving image, envisioning Jesus, God the Son. But what do I do with the Spirit? How do I envision the Spirit? Because the Spirit's invisible. And so what am I supposed to think? How am I supposed to apply distinct personhood to this distinct person? You know, when I, was, uh, first, when I first came to Christ, I was given a book by one of my mentors, Mr. Alan White, and he gave me a book early on called The Holy Spirit is a Divine Person. And it's taken me years for that book to kind of digest, but one of the things it did introduce me to is throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a, he's not a wind. He's not a wisp. He's not a ghost. He's a distinct person. In fact, at some point, if, whether this morning or next week, we'll look at the verse in Ezekiel where Ezekiel says the Spirit reached out his hand, took him by the hair of his head, and flew him in vision to, the val to this valley for a vision. But so Holy Spirit has a hand. The Spirit has a hand, and he can take you. Um, nonetheless, taking a step back, so I still don't know that that's helpful to you. And really my intent is to be helpful all along the way so that we might, since our walk with God is a walk in the Spirit in this New Testament. God the Father is in heaven. Jesus is seated at his right hand, but he has sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. So our walk with Holy Spirit is central to our walk with Jesus Christ. You don't walk with Jesus without walking in the Spirit. And you don't walk in the Spirit without walking in view of what Jesus has done. They, the, the fact that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are so integrally linked, connected, in union, in agreement, one does not act without the other. But that still brings us back to, so what do we do with this Holy Spirit? You know, Jen stood up last week and she, she talked about when she's worshiping and making room for the Lord, that she had an image. She worked with an image in her mind. And I'm leery to use the word imagination because what, if people, because what people sometimes think. But imagination is important. And the word imagine is image in. What image in are you working with? And that's not make-believe. That's what true image are you working with? So some, sometimes when... Somebody like Jen stands up and talks about a picture. I'm concerned not with her and not with what she said at all. But sometimes if people, if I were to use the word, use your imagination, you might think I'm saying pretend. 
And I'm not saying pretend. I'm saying think what's true. Picture what's true. And so this brings me back because it's, it was a personal struggle for me. What, how do I think about the Holy Spirit? I have an image, a true image of God the Father. I have a true image of God the Son. But what is my image of Holy Spirit? I don't have. I'm back to invisibility and winds and curtains moving and people getting goosebumps and saying, oh, the Spirit must be here. And, and, and to tell you the truth, I've been in this Christian church, the, the, Christi the move of Christianity, especially in America, for over 40 years. And I've seen plenty of strange things that happen in churches with Christians. And often it's attributed to, oh, the Spirit was just moving me. The Spirit moved me. And you did something strange? Or you did something not in keeping with, you know, if I slap you, Josh, first off, you'll slap me back. That I don't want. But if I slap you and say, the Spirit led me. Well, first off, that's not in keeping with anything we know about God. God does things by way. And so let me talk a little bit about this idea of this person who has chosen to not give us a name other than I am the very spirit of God. The first thing that tells me is the mark of humility. This member of the Godhead hasn't even named himself other than to say, I represent the very spirit of God. But what does that mean? Spirit is a hard word to define without using spirit. Um, spirit involves an expression of, a manifestation of, a representation of, and acting out of the very heart of someone. Showing forth their true intent, their essence, the essence of who they are. What they're about. What is their motive at heart? You see why I struggle without using the word spirit. If at Christmas, if you found someone in your office building, everyone's celebrating Christmas, and you have a Scrooge in your Midst. And if you're American, you'll understand this reference. If you have somebody who is just not generous, we can say a lot of things about this Christmas season, but I think we would have to agree that the spirit of the season of Christmas is one of giving. Why? We're remembering Jesus and God gave, we're celebrating at Christmas, no matter what you think you're doing. One of the things we want to be doing at Christmas is remembering that God gave us an ultimate gift in his son. Christmas is the time where we celebrate that. So at the heart of Christmas is this idea of God gave a gift, I'm going to give a gift, I'm, I'm going to think about somebody else other than myself. So the spirit of Christmas is generosity, thinking of someone else, celebrating, celebrating Jesus coming and celebrating our reasons for being able to give to someone else. So if someone's being a real poop, and they're just, 
You know, they're not giving, they're only thinking of themselves. You might say to that person, you're not in the Christmas spirit. What are you saying to that person? You're not expressing the theme, the mode, the intent, the tone. I'm really working hard here. I'm working hard to paint a picture of what it means when we talk about spirit. If you didn't jump out of your chair when Kenny Pickett threw that winning touchdown last night, I'd say, you are not in the Steelers' spirit. Come on. Come on. The rookie, he wins the game in the last second. What a story. Come on, get in, get, get in the spirit of things. So you understand. Hopefully you can understand that spirit encompasses an expression of somebody's intent. Martin's. I work at Martin's, and Martin's has a rule, the five-yard rule, five-feet rule. I think it's the five-feet rule. I know it well, don't I? Can't even tell you what it is. It's the five-foot rule. And the rule is, if you come within five feet of someone, to acknowledge them. Hi, how are you? Can I help you? So that's just the spirit of the rule is, hey, be kind to your customers. They're the reason you have a job. Make this a friendly place. So the spirit behind the rule is to express a welcoming a gratefulness, a courtesy, an appreciation for our customers. Now, we have the customers that come, hey, or just walk right by you. They come well within five feet, and they may not look up from their phone, which used to be forbidden, and so we would say to that person, that person could get called into the office and say, you aren't expressing, you aren't carrying out the spirit of this rule. You aren't showing what it really means. Or if you do it, you're just going through the motions. There's not a genuine expression of welcoming. Have I labored? I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this. Spirit means the spirit with, you, with which you do something. There, I've used spirit to define spirit. Very redundant. But Holy Spirit is the person that his soul, heart, his soul motive is to represent God's essence. He does everything in the zeal, the spirit, God the Father intended it. He doesn't misrepresent God's intent. I love, can you repeat the, the verse you opened with this morning? He is better than we can imagine. And then there was something else after that. God is better than we can imagine. That's all right. Maybe. I bring these for a reason. Let everyone give all their praise and thanks to the Lord. Here's why. He's better than anyone could ever imagine. Yes, he's always loving and kind, and his faithful love never ends. So Holy Spirit, whenever he's manifesting, will always represent that. He will never not represent his Father, who's better than we can imagine, and who's always loving and always kind and always faithful and always love. Holy Spirit is not strange. He's not the weird 
And that's why I'm taking these labors because I need to strip off <laughs> many years of American Christian culture. We're peeling back many, many years of American Christian culture and we're gonna begin simply by identifying the Holy Spirit. He's the divine person. He's the third member of the Trinity. And he's called the Spirit because that's what he represents. Jesus' name was, one of Jesus' names is the Word. This third person has chosen just to call himself the Spirit. So when Jesus is described and named as the Word, anytime we have a name of God, it's not descriptive of what somebody does. It's descriptive of who they are in heart, in essence to their core being. So Jesus, to his core being, everything about him and his heart is to make known God's thoughts, what God thinks, what his plan is, what his intent is. Isn't that what a word is? Isn't a word just a bucket? You don't know a thing. Okay, tell me what I'm thinking right now. You don't know, can't do it, can you? Unless I say a word. My word. I'm looking at my wife right now. And she's like, her thinking, I can tell you what she's thinking. She's thinking, he is strange. The Holy Spirit is not, but my husband is. He's very strange, and he's standing up front, ogling me. So I know exactly what she's thinking, because we're one. My point is, if I don't tell her I love her, she doesn't know it, even though I'm thinking it really hard. I'm thinking really hard how much I love you. But she doesn't know it, neither do you. You just think he has issues. A word is an expression of a thought, a, an intent, a plan. So Jesus, as the word of God, is the one who comes to make evident, make plain, this is your God. This is how he thinks. That's why Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God. He's an expression of God, God's thoughts, God's plans, God's intents, the hidden things that you wouldn't know otherwise. And the Holy Spirit, in turn, comes to take that expressed thought and carry it out in the full spirit it was intended in full measure, without holding back. There's a, there's a verse in James that we'll look at, but it says, his spirit jealously desires you. You're not just anybody's. You belong to him. And the Holy Spirit, because you belong to God, the Father, and are dearly loved, so dearly loved, that God would send his only son for you, and Jesus so dearly loved you, that he thought his own sacrifice of himself paled in comparison to you perishing. So he gave himself up for us and Holy Spirit saying, how dare I represent anything less than that zealous love that Father has for you, that Jesus has for you. Everything about my work is going to zealously represent the fervent, red-hot love. And I don't take kindly to things trying to draw you away. I jealously desire you Preserved, kept safe, 
That's why Jesus said, when he was getting ready to go away in John chapter 16, he, his disciples were struggling with this idea that Jesus said, I'm going away. And Jesus said, but I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, I won't send Holy Spirit to you. That's a hallelujah place, but I know. I know, we're processing. So, up to this point, we're con we've considered Holy Spirit is not an it. He is not a ghost. He's not a holy ghost. He's not an invisible wisp. He's a divine person with his own personality. He's a distinct person and yet completely invested in doing everything the Father wants done the Father's way, with the Father's heart, with the Father's heat. There is an indifference because he's the very Spirit of God. And the fact that he's chosen, I still marvel, and I'll say it again, the fact that he takes no other name other than I'm the Spirit of God. If you want to know what I'm about, whatever God's doing, I'm doing it. And I'm doing it fully. So, <laughs> is that helpful? If you could raise your hand. <laughs> I'm looking for a little, is, is that kind of helpful? To, I'm, I'm starting to put some form to Holy Spirit's not an it. He's a person. He's a distinct person. And we were made in the image of God. We have a body, we have a head, we have ears and eyes, we have a mouth, because God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit all have bodies, heads, ears, eyes, mouth, noses, hands. The Godhead is integrally connected, in complete agreement, invested in one another, and Holy Spirit is one of those people. And if you want to be able to attach an image, you can image a person who is zealous to do God's will, God's way. To carry out God's purpose, God's way. Now, Holy Spirit has been around from the beginning. He is not an obscure person in Old or New Testament. If we could have the, uh, I'll begin the series of, of verses, but I'll start in Genesis chapter 1. Verses uh, 2 and verse 3. Genesis starts this way. The earth was formless in, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth is verse 1. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. Often we use this verse to show that nothing happens until God's word is spoken. And I'm in keeping with that. But I, let me just point out, the Holy Spirit was already present, but not doing a thing. Because of extreme humility. A mark of the Holy Spirit is humility. Because a mark of God the Father and a God the Son are humility. They're all in complete agreement. So God the Holy Spirit was there, but nothing was happening 
until God said, let there be light. And then the two worked together. Uh, the next verse, Isaiah 61. We're going to see how integrally connected the work of the Spirit and the work of the Son are. One doesn't work without the other. This is a, a passage in Isaiah 61, and it's foretelling the birth of Jesus and what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus actually uses this verse to define himself at one point when John the Baptist sent some of his disciples and said, who are you? And Jesus said, go tell him. The, uh, the brokenhearted, the lame walk, the blind see, and they have the good news uh, spoken to them, proclaimed to them. So this verse is foretelling. It's a prophecy of Jesus who is to come. And, and it's the prophecy of Jesus speaking, saying, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Speaking as, of Jesus. Jesus saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. If we're to take the first few words and the last few words of this prophecy, it would read like this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me to glorify, that he may be glorified. Holy Spirit is not a free agent. He doesn't just whimsically move here and whimsically move there. He has a very defined parameters in, a certain, in certain regards. His main thrust and ministry is to show Jesus to you and to take what Jesus purchased and work it out in your life and my life in real life. For your days here, it's like he's the executor of the inheritance. He's showing you, this is what you've inherited in Jesus. This is what's yours. This is how to get it. We have a lot of people who say, I believe in healing. I just don't know how to get it. That's Holy Spirit's job. He will help you with this. There's lots of things like that. There's areas that the New Testament describes that in, in some cases to, to many people even present here in this room can be mysterious. Like, what do you mean prophesy? What do you mean this, that? That's what we're going to talk. We're going to demystify and hopefully pull back the, the cloak on some of these things, the cloak of religion. Because as Christians, we sometimes speak a language that we expect you to understand and you don't. And sometimes we don't either. And we don't want that. That's not helpful. Uh, the next verse, I believe, is in Matthew chapter 3, we find that Jesus is approximately 30 years old, has worked most of his life as a carpenter, lost his father, understands grief, is well regarded. He's not just a carpenter, but he's a craftsman. So, 
he has skill. He's a skilled worker. He stands in good repute in his community. But then, all of a sudden, <laughs> out of the blue, he's baptized by John the Baptist in the river. And after being baptized, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And we understand that to be the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus did nothing publicly until the Holy Spirit came upon him. And in the beginning, Holy Spirit did nothing until God said, let there be light. So we find a complete union and compatibility and a humility towards and a dependence upon the other. Uh, the next verse. I believe is Acts. Acts 10, verse 38 says this. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. What? How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. Can we all read it one more time now together? How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he repeatedly said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. I'm not kidding. I'm really not kidding you. He didn't do anything until Holy Spirit came upon him. And this is just a reinforcing verse, just to show you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God the Holy Spirit was with him. God the Father was with him. This also should tell us something about Holy Spirit, this person if when he came upon Jesus, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, what do you think the heart of God is? To heal all who are oppressed by the devil. And to do it with, what's that musical term? Gusta. What is it? Gusto. Holy Spirit doesn't do it halfway. He doesn't do it not in the spirit God intended. Uh, what's the next verse? Oh, 2 Peter. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Uh, the next verse, do we have that? Uh, no, no. Um, but men, uh, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. I might not have given the next verse. But the Scripture goes on to say, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So who wrote the scriptures? Men did. But who inspired the men? The Spirit. So the Spirit has been actively engaged with mankind from the beginning, from the start, from with Moses, to make sure that God's intent is known, preserved, and that's why God the Holy Spirit um, watches over this word because he authored it. And that's why, you know, when I, I'll tell you a little story. When I was first born again, I was not religious. I didn't know what church was about. I didn't know the Bible was a Bible. I was given a King James Bible. So I'm like, okay, that's what I got. And God gave to me. Now you would have people today that say, oh, don't read the King James. You know what? Holy Spirit took the King James, and 
I, there were times where my mind was just blown. Because Holy Spirit will express the intent. That's what he watches over. He guards God's word. I was visiting some friends in Annapolis and they were staying in a person's home um, for the summer and this man was a lawyer and he had books and he had a book called The Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not buy it. I am not advertising for it. But I didn't know my right hand from my left. I didn't know one book from the other. And I took the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ, there's several chapters in the beginning that talk about when Jesus supposedly was a boy and went to India and learned how to climb ropes and charm snakes and learn from the gurus. That's really what the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ says. And you know what? The whole time reading it, my stomach, my spirit was going, eh, eh. Every time I tried to read it, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Jesus went to, I didn't know. Jesus went to India as a boy and learned from the gurus. And every time I tried to read it, it was like, what is it? And I said, you know what? I'm going to read the real Bible. That's the, my thought in my mind. So I put it away, took it back. There's another story about that, but not for today. My point being, Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the scriptures. And while I was reading something other than that, Holy Spirit was provoking me, saying, eh, uh-uh, wrong, not from me, not from me, don't read it, don't read it, until finally I got so provoked by God's watchful care that I said, ah, I don't know, I don't think this is, I'm going to read the real Bible, the regular Bible. So I went back to my King James and I had no problems receiving from God. So translations of Bible interpretations are excellent. Pick one that you like. Pick one that's, you know, as, as much as you can know, are comfortable with and are, it's verifiable, a good translation. But ultimately, it's still got to be Holy Spirit who opens it. And I can attest that King James Version, the these and the thous were not a hindrance to God the Holy Spirit in opening up his word to me. Um, is there another scripture after this? Oh, oh yeah. Okay, so we have the Holy Spirit acting in complete agreement with God. And Jesus doing what he did because Holy Spirit came upon him. We have Holy Spirit being the author of the scriptures, inspiring men. The Holy Spirit is through the scriptures, carrying out, executing with zeal, with pure intent. And that's where the word holy comes in. Holy Spirit. Pure. This is pure spirit. This is purely the intent of God. Inspired the scriptures. And then look. But if the spirit. This is Romans chapter 8 verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. What? Who raised Jesus from the dead? Say it. It's from the Bible. It's from the Bible. The spirit. Holy Spirit was actively involved in confirming the acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice accepted with God. Unparalleled in human history. To this day, every time you write 2022 on your check or your report or your letter or whatever, you are acknowledging Jesus as the central point of all human history. And you and I cannot do that. But God, by his spirit, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead ah, listen to this, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
we have a lot to consider. If we could go to Joel, uh, the, the passage from Joel, and we'll finish here today. We have a lot to cover, but we're going to take it in what I hope are going to be slow, deliberate, and clear steps, because we can't afford to be wrong on this. We can't afford to be wrong about God the Father. We cannot afford to be wrong about Jesus and what he's done. We also can't be, afford to be wrong about Holy Spirit because he is the one who is present with us. Jesus is seated at the right hand. Jesus is in heaven. Holy Spirit is here with us. We can't, we can't afford to be wrong. We can't let Holy Spirit become part of church politics. And this is what I mean by church politics. I'm a fundamentalist. I don't believe in stuff of the Spirit. Then you have on the far extreme, I'm of the Spirit. I'm not very good with the Word. What do you mean? What do, you mean, what do you mean you're a fundamentalist and you only believe the Bible and you don't understand anything about the Holy Spirit? That's what the whole book involves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You cannot be a fundamentalist and not understand the role of Holy Spirit. And on the other extreme, you cannot be a person who says you're involved with Holy Spirit and you're indifferent to being effective and accurate with God's Word because Holy Spirit inspired it. We're going to look and we're going to see that Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to take of mine and reveal it to you. He's going to glorify me. What's Jesus interested in doing? He is not banging his own drum. He is glorifying Jesus. That's his full intent is to glorify Jesus. And the scripture says he will not even speak on his own, but only what he hears will he speak. So he only says what the Father tells him, and he only glorifies Jesus. Does that sound like Jesus? Didn't Jesus say, I, I don't do anything on my own initiative? I only do what I hear my Father say? These three are in complete lockstep and agreement. So there is no such thing as these religious political divisions. They don't make sense in God. It doesn't make sense to say, I'm a person of the word. And I don't go for any of that spirit stuff. Then you're not a person of the word. And if you're a person who says, I'm only of the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit this and Holy Spirit that. And I don't get into all that doctrine and word. And, well, then you aren't of the Holy Spirit either. Because they are in complete unity. I hope I've made that. I don't want to have to say that again. It's just, it non, it's... It's nonsensical to me. Bibli Let me say it this way. It's biblically nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. God isn't divided. If you're a person of God's word, you will also be a person who's zealous to know what about Holy Spirit. And if you're a person today, I saw something rolling. It's still rolling. <laughs> Maybe that pacifier's for me, pacifying. If, if you're watching online, a pacifier rolled up to the front, and it's like, be comforted, Alan. 
that this, it, it so irks me because it's so nonsensical, spirit and no word, word and no spirit. It just, it, it really throws me. But we have these almost political divisions within the Christian nation, within the Christian, I don't want to say the Christian nation, within Christianity today, especially American Christianity. Are you a fundamentalist? Are you a word person? Oh, are you Pentecostal? Are you charismatic? You know what? In God, there aren't those distinctions. And so part of the intent with this four-part series is to pull back the cover. Let's take a biblical approach because the Word of God is an anchor to us. It anchors us in truth. It anchors us in reality. It'll withstand the storms and the pulls and the winds and the swayings of this person and these people and those people. It is our responsibility as your elders to make sure you are kept safe to make sure you aren't easily blown off course, to make sure that is our charge, that is our accountability. And God makes sure that he gives to us. So it's not even on us, it's just us to do what we're told. He takes the initiative to say, this will keep my people safe. This will help my people. This will stabilize the people so they'll never be ashamed no matter who they're talking to. So you need never be ashamed if you're talking with somebody and they say, I know Hebrew, I know Greek, and I've read the Bible from front and back. And you can say, that is just wonderful. <laughs> wonderful, excellent. But you will never need to be ashamed to be in those company of people and talk scripture. Because you have the Holy Spirit. And he wrote it. So, what I'm going to leave you with in the Old Testament, we're going to consider this next week, the, old, the Holy Spirit was present. The Spirit of God was present. He was present on the prophets to give prophecies. He was present on Sam, uh, Samson. He came upon Samson. The Spirit came upon Samson, and he tore a lion like it was a kid, a young goat, which I think that's hard. <laughs> the Spirit came on Samson, and he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. The Spirit came upon Gideon and he led, what, 300 people to an impossible victory. We have the Spirit of God coming on prophets and them speaking of things that are going to come hundreds of years later. <coughs> but Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was only ever on a few here, some there. He could be taken. King Saul was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He began to prophesy. He disobeyed God. God took the Spirit from Saul and put him on David. That's how distinctive the Holy Spirit's apportionment was in the Old Testament. He wasn't everywhere. And you know what? Here's the thing that, please take note of this. Whoever had the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God was resting on someone in the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of God was using someone Everyone knew it because they were different. The prophet Samuel approached a village where Jesse, David, King David's father, lived. And all the village elders gathered to the front of the gate because word went out, Samuel's coming. Oh, no. The village leaders met at the gate and said, have you come for good or for evil? Are we in trouble because a man or a person with the Spirit of God on him 
was to be reckoned with. They were distinct. Everyone knew it. There was an import on that person because the Spirit of God is on them. The Spirit of God uses them. You better watch out. There was such a reverence and a respect for anyone. And that's why it said, if someone prophesies falsely, stone them. You couldn't just get away in the Old Testament with standing up and prophesying a lie. They would take you straight out and stone you because it's a mockery. It was a mockery of what God's Spirit was doing. Anyway, another story. But along came Isaiah received a prophecy, or Joel received a prophecy of something that was going to happen in the later days. The Holy Spirit used to be mainly come upon men. And only a few here or there. But this is what the prophet, prophecy of Joel says that is confirmed in Acts chapter 2. And, when, and it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Hallelujah. And your sons and your daughters, what? Will prophesy. That's the mark of Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Gender, not an issue. Status, not an issue. Servants, rich, does not matter. Young men, old men. Sons, daughters, Whatever this is going to be, which we understand to be Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, is going to make available Holy Spirit for all. Chew on that. Let that be the glory and the lifter of your head, that what Jesus has accomplished, you are so forgiven, you are so brand new, that what was impossible once is now possible through Jesus alone, and it's a mark of his glorification and his acceptance, he's going to pour out Holy Spirit on all of his believers. You are a temple. You have been clean. I don't care what you heard this week or what your adversary said or any of this nonsense or what you say about yourself. I don't care about what you say. God says you're a temple. My Holy Spirit will come and dwell in you. The same Spirit that was on Samson and Elijah and Elisha and Moses and David and Isaiah and Gideon. That's who I'm going to give to you. That's why I'm not afraid to leave you here. We'll get together next week.